This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. Recently, while delivering her speech at a special AMNO briefing, Pengrang MP Azalina Othman said, if the power to change the AG is in the hands of the Prime Minister, why didn't he, referring to Ismail Sabri, change the AG when this is under his jurisdiction? So this begs the question, what exactly is the role of the Attorney General or AG? And should they be a political appointee? And what would a truly free and independent judiciary look like? So joining me on the show to unpack all of this is Thomas Fan. He's the chairperson of Bursay. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thank you very much, Dashran. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, uh, perhaps you can tell me what exactly is the role of the AG? Well, the Attorney General actually has uh, four main roles, but uh, two of them that are more commonly known are, first of all, that uh, he or she uh, is the chief legal advisor to the government of the day and to the Yang Pertuan Agong. So that is uh, spelled out in Article 145 of the Federal Constitution. But the second thing that also was spelled out in the same uh, article is that he is also the public prosecutor. In other words, he is the one who decides who to charge, who not to charge, whether to withdraw a case that is in court, uh, uh, in the court process or not. So this is uh, the role of the public prosecutor. But the other role that the AG has is that he also oversees the governing body uh, for the lower courts, the appointment of uh, the, the magistrates and all this thing. Uh, and fourthly, is he oversees the law drafting body. In other words, any law, before it is brought to the parliament, the AG chambers will have the responsibility to draft these laws. Who has the power right now to appoint the Attorney General? The Prime Minister. The Prime Minister uh, in Article 145 of the Federal Constitution has the power to advise the Yang Dipotuan Agong on who he wants to appoint. Uh, and, and the Yang Dipotuan Agong will have to appoint this person. So the power is in the hand of the Prime Minister to appoint. Right. So I guess a more interesting question would then be, should the Prime Minister have the power to appoint or change an attorney general? Well, my opinion is that uh, whoever forms the government of the day and is the prime minister has the right and prerogative to appoint his own lawyer, so to say. You know, I wouldn't want someone else uh, to appoint a lawyer to speak for me or to defend me or to advise me. So I think it is uh, logical that uh, the prime minister... Uh, should have the right to appoint the Attorney General uh, of his choice. Uh, but the problem lies in the second function, the role of the, of the Attorney General right now. He is also the public prosecutor. So that is, uh, to us, a clear conflict of interest. It violates the doctrine of the separation of power between the executive and the judiciary because... Uh, as a public prosecutor, it is really part of the uh, justice system of the country. So that become, I think, a, a very prob- problematic situation. But uh, strictly as the legal advisor, the AG, uh, the Prime Minister should have the right to appoint his own AG. 
So let's talk a little bit about that since you brought up the public prosecutor, right? What exactly is the role of the public prosecutor? You alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, and I'm wondering why you stress that the, the problem here lies that the AG and the uh, public prosecutor is essentially the same. Um, why should the AG chambers and public prosecutor um, be separate? Because as the public prosecutor, he or she is the one who decides who to charge and who not to charge. So if you remember, you know, uh, several years back uh, at the height of the 1MDB scandal, Najib, the Prime Minister then, sacked the Attorney General, or rather retired him earlier, uh, Gani Patai, and then appointed Mohamed Apandi to be the new AG. And if you remember infamously to me, Apandi, you know, uh, after I think uh, just a few months been appointed, kind of like held a press conference and waved some papers around and declared that there's no case to pursue in the 1MDB matter. And he right. has looked into it and he dropped, there says no, no further action, you know, on that matter. So that is the power of Attorney General uh, in the hand. So when, when you have someone appointed by the Prime Minister with that kind of power, it can lead to the weaponizing, you know, of the office of the public prosecutor, selective prosecution. So I think uh, that has been the complaint uh, of uh, politicians on both sides because both sides had a chance to be government and appointed their own AG. Uh, even Najib Razak said that he was selectively prosecuted by right. the Pakatan Harapan AG. So this is the, the real uh, problem because of the uh, two conflicting roles that the AG has as a legal advisor and also as the public prosecutor. Right, and let's talk about that a little bit more because like you said, um, uh, it's not just a Barisan national issue, right? Um, during Pakatan Harapan's time in power, when they came to power, they uh, replaced uh, Mohamed Apandi Ali with Tommy Thomas as the AG. And, and this is essentially the problem, right? Because then now the other side is saying that this side is, this AG is biased, this side is saying that AG is biased, and it's a never-ending cycle, right? Unless we solve this problem. Exactly. You know, uh, we commissioned a research report on this very issue, reforming the office of the Attorney General. And uh, our researcher, Andrew Yong, uh, said this uh, very pertinent point that say, unless you separate the office of the AG from that of the public prosecutor, you will have endless cycles of court clusters claiming injustice and trying to overthrow the government so that uh, they can be let off uh, the hook. Because by becoming government, the IAG, uh, Orang Dia, can let go of whatever charges. That, that is the, the real issue that I think we are facing here. But I, I still say that uh, every government have the right and should have the right to appoint their own AG. We just need to separate uh, the public pro prosecutor role from the AG. Right. And is that essentially the crux of the thing? Because I'm wondering what we can do about this. Uh, what are the solutions for a truly independent judiciary? Because, you know, even despite how courageous the judges have been lately, there is this perception by the masses 
um, that it is essential for Barisan National not to win big next elections or Najib might walk free. And on the other side, um, you know, there's this perception where Barisan National needs to win big so that Najib can walk free. There's this perception, depending on which camp you are, by the by the general public, right? Um, and and sim- a similar thing happened um, after Pakatan Harapan won the elections and subsequently um, Anwar Ibrahim walked free. Now, of course, we can debate whether Anwar should have been tossed in jail in the first place, whether it was just a, a political character assassination and all of that. But I think that's beside the point, right? Because currently the way people are looking is that a new government can come and then just whatever charges can be dropped. The people are correct in their perception because under current law, that is exactly uh, the power of the executive. You know, I mean, that's why our, our law is so flawed, you know. Uh, that we 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 have to continue to push for reform to the AG uh, AGC, separating the public prosecutor from from the AG, and also the judicial appointment process uh, is extremely flawed because once again uh, the man at the top, the prime minister, has the power to influence who become judges uh, uh, or, or not, so that the cases uh, would favour uh, their agenda or their, their, their policy and their people. So this is uh, under current law. So what we are saying is that uh, uh, to push for judicial uh, appointment reform, there are three, three things that we have to look at. First of all, it must be merit-based appointments. You know, we want the best brains, the best people, people with integrity, to be our judges. Uh, secondly, I think the judges has to reflect Malaysian society. In other words, there has to be some diversity uh, in terms of gender, in terms of the region they come from, in terms of ethnicity, and even religion. It, it cannot be uh, just uh, homogeneous, uh, reflecting one segment of society. Right. But most importantly, thirdly, the criteria uh, for any reform is that there must be transparency in the process and uh, and accountability. So what we are recommending in Brussels in our research, uh, after we look at uh, several countries, is that we need to establish a truly independent judicial appointment Commission. Now, we, we do have a JAC. It's there in name and it sounds right. good. Uh, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that it is the Prime Minister who largely appoints um, Orang Deer to the Judicial Appointment Commission. Right. And the Judicial Appointment Commission role is primarily to recommend uh, people they think fit to become judges to the Prime Minister who has the right to refuse? Who has right. the right to even just appoint someone outside the list of uh, recommended people uh, before they are then, before he advised the young Deputuan Agong to appoint them as judges? So that is how powerful uh, the Prime Minister is. Lastly, uh, thanks to Dr. Mahathir. Right. Uh, you know, the legacy that he left behind. So Thomas, earlier you brought up the whole um, Najib appointing Orang Deer um, as the AG, and then um, you know the AG 
basically uh, waving off all the cases in in essence, right? Um, uh, cases surrounding one MDB and and whatnot. So let's say we get to a point where the AG chambers and the public prosecutor is separate. What would it look like? We get a new pres- uh, prime minister that comes in. It can be, let's say, Najib or Anwar or just whoever. And they have cases um, on them. They come in as the new prime minister. What happens next? What happens then? Okay, so the separation has taken place. Yeah. And the new prime minister, whoever this person may be, appoint a new AG. Right. Uh, the AG would not have the power to drop or withdraw charges that is ongoing. Uh Taking Najib as an example, he has at least three or four other court cases ongoing related to 1MDB. Uh, this uh, would not be, the AG cannot uh, uh, influence to say we withdraw the charges or we stand down or we have come to a deal. Uh, you know, I mean, just recently we had uh, Hasana. Uh, the chief spy of the country, this lady, uh, was charged with a criminal breach of trust for 50 million, just over 50 million ringgit. And, uh, you know, that whole case was uh, kind of like a drop because uh, the attorney general's office didn't pursue it. And uh, the judge said, then I will just drop the case because the prosecution didn't present anything you know, to further the case. So that is, I think, the, the power and the danger. So if there is a separation, this won't happen. And then there is no need for anyone to cry and say that uh, they were unjustly prosecuted and unjustly uh, judged. Uh, and the rule of law will be upheld and, and strengthened in this country if that, that has happened. On the show with me today is Thomas Fan, chairperson of Bursay. After the break, I ask him, how do we go about accomplishing or achieving some of the reforms that he has suggested? Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Thomas Fan, chairperson of Bursay. And we're talking about judicial independence. So Thomas... Can you give me an example uh, of a country we can learn from um, as far as judicial independence is concerned? Um, any great examples out there? Well, I, I, I don't know about great example because I think every country is still fine-tuning their process. But right. certainly for us being a constitutional monarch system of government, the UK would probably be a good country to look to because they too have a similar uh, common law with us and also have a, a monarch uh, in, in their system of government. So what happens in, in the UK is that uh, when there is a, a vacancy for a judge, uh, the, the Lord Chancellor, which is, like, I guess, the equivalent of our law minister, uh, convenes an independent selection commission. Now, I am personally not in favor of, of that, the law uh, uh, minister doing that, but I would rather we replace that with the chief justice. The chief okay. justice, uh, when there is a vacancy for a judge, uh, convenes an independent selection commission. But after that, uh, what happened is that then this commission, uh, which comprises of uh, representative from 
different areas. Uh, so the, in the UK, they have uh, representative from the ju judicial appointment bodies of England and Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland. So in our case, you need to have representative from Sabah, Sarawak, uh, Peninsula to be in this commission. Then you also uh, need to have uh, the uh, president of the Court of Appeal, for example, and also I would say someone from the Bar Council uh, of Malaya and also of Sabah and Sarawak to be present so that they form basically this body of people who would independently seek out the best candidate. So they then will go through a series of consultation. Uh, and in England, they even advertise for the post. Vacancy, we need a judge. You know, uh, so anybody can apply. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but so they have a transparent process. Then they uh, consult with senior politicians from both sides of the aisle mm. uh, to get their opinion on candidate or suggestion. Then after that, they will interview the shortlisted candidates. Uh, with that, they will present it back to, in their case, the Lord Chancellor. But in our case, I would say, pre, uh, present it back to the Chief Justice, who would then have uh, his or her own uh, round of consultation just to make sure these are people that are agreeable, acceptable, before it is forwarded to the Prime Minister uh, office to make an announcement. You know, So it is, uh, I think the gist of it is that it was a very consultative process yes. and very transparent. Uh, at the end of the day, it is to evoke public confidence in our judges, in our judiciary, because, you know, without public confidence, uh, without confidence in the rule of law, uh, we will have the rule of the jungle if people don't have confidence in our judges. Can you explain that a little bit? Why is it important that the public has confidence in it or perceives it at least to be something that is independent. Why is that important? What is the impact if the public does not have confidence in the judiciary? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the rule of law is, is really, I think, uh, one of the foundation of a society, of a democracy. Um, without a set of laws that we all sign up to, agree to, and abide by, um, we will basically become a lawless country. And the judiciary is seen as the, the final arbiter or interpreter of the law. So if there is any dispute between uh, citizens, dispute with the government or what, we go to the court and we right. expect the court to dispense justice without fear or favor, uh, regardless of who that person is. Uh, so with that, we need to be sure that our judges are absolutely uh, fair in their judgment because once that is broken or obviously perceived to be broken and, and the judges are corrupt, can be bought with money, then the people on the ground will see it as uh, uh, there's no justice for them. So right. what would happen is that uh, quite quickly, people will take justice into their own hand. 
So you're going to have a vigilante, you know, roaming the streets, dispensing their own justice. Or uh, that may sound good for a Hollywood movie, but <laughs> I think I think we will be living in fear because everybody interpret justice uh, their own way, you know. Uh, so we cannot uh, allow that to happen. So the the public perception of the judiciary to be independent, free from influence, political influence, is absolutely uh, critical. Thomas, I also want to pick your brain a little bit about um, Tun Dr. Mahade, right? What exactly is the impact of um, Tun Dr. Mahade's first tenure uh, as Prime Minister on judicial independence? What are the changes? What did our judiciary look like before him, uh, pre-Mahade in the 80s and 90s, and, and post-Mahade at that time? The dark clouds descended over our judiciary in 1988 uh, with the uh, ju- judicial crisis uh, that happened when Tun was the Prime Minister, first time round, there was power struggle within his own party, AMNO, uh, with Tunku Razali kind of like uh, coming very close to replacing him as the president of AMNO, therefore as Prime Minister. But uh, and there was a dispute in the in the count, and which was eventually taken to courts. And the courts, after hearing both sides, decided that there was. Uh, uh, a case uh, that there was uh, fraudulent uh, voters in the election of of uh, Amno decided to disband Amno. So I think that really upset Mahathir to the point that he was very publicly critical of the judges and in particular uh, the Lord President at the time Saleh Abbas, Abbas. And so long story short, uh, he removed uh, Saleh Abbas through a tribunal that was uh, very controversially put together. And since then, um, laws have been amended to curtail the independence of the judiciary. So with that, then also later on, some years later, we have the VK Lingam uh, tapes where he was uh, recorded as discussing how to fix the judiciary, the appointment of the top judges the chief justice even, who to be appointed, things like that. I mean, that was scandalous. And so people's whole confidence in our judiciary just went, went to the toilet. And I think it's only recently, as recent as two weeks ago, that uh, people's confidence uh, are beginning to be restored uh, in our judiciary with the jailing of uh, Najib Raza and the sentencing of his wife, Rosma. Now, we've discussed the solutions to the problem. Um, now, the question is, how do we get there, um, Thomas? What is the next step? Are we talking about um, um, constitutional amendments? Um, are we talking about restructuring certain laws? Uh, um, where do we go from here? Yeah, certainly, I think there are two things that we're talking here. One is uh, reform of the AG, uh, AGC. Uh, the separation of the role of the public prosecutor from the AG must take place. And I think one of the heartening things that we are hearing, number one is that the Prime Minister Ismail Sabri uh, mooted this or proposed to do this as early as in May this year uh, on his own. It wasn't part of the memorandum of understanding or, or anything that they, he, he would like to separate uh, 
the role of the public prosecutor from that of the AG. And that has been also voiced out and echoed by uh, different political leaders from both sides of the divide, including AMNO, including AMNO, and, and including uh, uh, YB Azalina, who was one of the very vocal proponents for this separation right. uh, of, of this thing. So the, the reform to the AG need to take place. And it is doable. I think there is uh, coming together a political will for that because the main parties on both sides can see the problem, you know, selective prosecution by the AG. So there they is uh, a move towards that. The second thing is reforming the judicial appointment process. The, the Judicial Appointment Commission, uh, Jack, uh, really uh, need to be reformed. Uh, to remove, primarily to remove the role of the uh, Prime Minister uh, in influencing that uh, uh, and also to appoint members of the, to the Commission. So that takes a constitutional amendment. Uh, I, I believe Article 122 uh, is the one where it has to be amended so that the Prime Minister don't have that final say who become judge or not. Right. Uh, we rather that it would be uh, the commission itself that is independent, making that recommendation to the Yang De Patuan Agong for appointment rather than the prime minister. That is something that I think is critical to be done so that we, we truly have a, a free and independent judicial system and upholding the doctrine of the separation of powers between the executive, the judiciary, and the legislature. You know, so this is something that needs to happen. But you know, we, we are ex- excited right now by the display of independence by right. the courts lately. In the last few years, I would say that we have been kind of like optimistic and hopeful under the current Chief Justice. We have saw a lot of independence, but uh, seriously, I think before we pop the champagne and celebrate, uh, we still have to push for the reform to the law because uh, this can be totally reversed with the change of government. Uh, with, with a new government that do not respect the rule of law, um, they can put in uh, their own AG to withdraw cases, drop cases, uh, and even influence the appointment of judges. Uh, we, are, we are a little bit concerned with that because lately we saw some new appointments to the Judicial Appointment Commission that I think kind of raised some eyebrow because of their previous stated position on some of the issue. That is still a concern for us. Thomas, how important is public engagement when it comes to achieving these goals, achieving judicial independence? What can the public do? What we can do is really, I think, defend judicial independence. So recently, there was uh, this situation uh, related to Najib's case as well, SRC case, the allegations of uh, that the High Court judge Naslan uh, was uh, has a kind of like a un- unexplained wealth in his personal account, and this was like you know by some discredited blogger from the UK writing about this. 
and which then got the MACC to announce their starting an investigation into Judge uh, Naslan. Now, this is all very uh, of concern simply because uh, when a, 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 a court process uh, is in progress, I think there has to be restraint on both parties, trusting that the system uh, works, that justice will prevail either way, if you are innocent, you have absolutely nothing to be worried about because the evidence should point that towards your innocence and the judge will make uh, the right declaration of your innocence. But to impute some sort of uh, wrongdoing on the presiding judge while a case is going on uh, is really uh, an attack on the judiciary. Uh, and I, I think this particular case was a very bad example of what not to do when a case is going on. So that allegation was made and so the Bar Council uh, rightly came forward, uh, condemned it and then called for a walk for judicial independence, which is supported by a lot of people in civil society and also the public. So I think it's important that the public voice out you know, when, when the court process is being interfered with and uh, justice is uh, put under pressure uh, to favor a certain uh, party in a case. And even right to the final appeal, I mean, it is almost shocking. It is really shocking, in fact, you know, to, to even have the Chief Justice, Tengku Maimon, right. uh, personal... Uh, uh, family and life dragged into the thing and and uh, allegation of biasness uh, heard at uh, the chief justice of the country who is hearing the case. I think this is this is uh, something that we need to defend and in different ways. Uh, some people can issue statement. Uh, some people can organize uh, uh, peaceful protests, and and they should. Uh, some people can go on social media. Uh, but whatever it is, I think most important for us as voters is that we need to, to vote for parties uh, or politicians that respect the rule of law. Right. Whatever the outcome is. You know, I think that is, to me, for the coming general election, will be one of the main issues that the voter need to to consider before they cast their vote for uh, the party or the coalition of their choice, that uh, is there a commitment to the rule of law? Because, uh, like I say, the consequence of not upholding the rule of law will be devastating for the country. So what, what are the devastation? Apart from people taking to the street and having vigilante uh, roaming the streets. No, no. The, the, the big immediate devastation is that international community will look at us as a laughing stock. Right. You know, uh, when it was it's so clear to everyone that, that something has gone wrong with this country the last few years and, uh, and justice can be overturned just like that. Uh, all the foreign investors and they will withdraw from our country. They will pull the rug, the carpet from under our feet 
and that will be the end of us and we will be a a, a basket case you know a laughing stock right so it's, it's that serious absolutely before we wrap this conversation up thomas would you have a final message for me yeah so as i mentioned you know uh many people are elated you know uh, simply not because they there's a there's a hatred of uh, the former prime minister najib and his wife but i think there is a sense that judiciary in our country is regaining its independence and strength and that we can rely on it for justice so people uh, hopes have been restored not just in the judiciary but also in the country i think the sentencing of najib and rosma did more to restore people hope in our elections and encouraging them to come out to vote than all the work that brosse and all the other ngo have done in the last few years we were like begging people don't give up on malaysia don't give but one sentence in one day i think people say yes malaysia we still can invest in you and put our hope in you so we we are uh, people are jubilant but i want to really caution the laws are still very very flawed the ag is still really all powerful when it come to uh the justice process the prosecution process is really all powerful and unless that is separated you know all these things can be totally reversed in in the wing of, the, of an eye and so the other thing is the judicial appointment uh the prime minister is still again you know uh on the surface we look like a democracy a, a very flawed one but in reality the prime minister is is really like a dictator right. and he has the law to back it up he can hire and fire the ag and influence even the appointment of the chief justice and even the yang di pertuan agong mostly have to act on the advice of the prime minister uh, with just very few exception uh, uh, the even the, even the king uh, don't don't have the same power as the prime minister so i think the the overall reform that need to pl- take place is that uh, we have to reduce the power of the prime minister when it come to the judicial process so that we truly have a separation uh of power among the executive the judiciary and the le- legislature and on that note thank you so much for joining me today thomas most welcome always a pleasure talking to you dashman thank you that was thomas fun he's the chairperson of bursey if you missed any part of our conversation you can also check us out on podcast we're available on the bfm app bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcast from i'm dashman johan and this has been live and learn bfm 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.